You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP. My name's Sean Stevens, and before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands upon which this podcast is recorded. This episode is brought to you from the lands of the Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Leaping straight into it, my guest today is Dr Madhur Ravikumara, a paediatric gastroenterologist at Perth Children's Hospital. Welcome, Ravi. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for this opportunity. Great. So, Ravi, can you tell our listeners how helicobacter pylori in children is different to adults? Yes, it's a good question, Sean. Um, thanks again. Look, there's quite a few differences when we talk about H. pylori, the, the natural course, the complications, both in adults as well as in children. Most important things uh, I will just uh, go through. The vast majority of children who have this infection are completely asymptomatic. So they won't really sort of any symptom at all. And in fact, people think that it might cause abdominal pain, but unless you have peptic ulcer disease, Mm. there are a number of studies now proven that there is no relation with any gastro symptom and H. pylori infection. Right. As the caveat, it's unless we have peptic ulcer disease. Yep. The other important difference is that children have very low rate of this complication um, of either peptic ulcer disease and almost absence of gastric malignancies, which you would worry about in the adult population, but in yep. children, extremely low risk. Mm. And the third thing is, as I mentioned, there is absolutely no evidence that treating or eradicating H. pylori in the absence of peptic ulcer disease in any way is beneficial, either in the control of symptoms or in any other aspect. There is no benefit at all to eradicate H. pylori unless we have peptic ulcer disease. So those are sort of main differences between H. pylori infection in adult setting as well as pediatric setting. And one of the minor things I just want to put out is that the, the studies have shown that H. pylori infection in infancy, in fact, leads to development of immune tolerance, which may be protective against various health conditions. Yeah. Okay. Those are the most important differences. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So it sounds like really there's probably a lot of over-testing. When should we be testing for H. pylori in kids and at what sort of age? Absolutely. Again, very good question. Now, the short answer is you don't need to sort of look for H. pylori. What I mean is that all the guidelines in pediatrics, various organizations or various professional bodies very strongly recommend against this test and treat strategy for H. pylori in children. Mm -hmm. Again, it's different from adult guidelines. But the most pediatric guidelines are very clear that you do not test and treat uh, H. pylori in children. It it comes to the fact that the the primary goal of investigating a clinical symptom or a GI symptom is to find out the cause of the symptom and then manage it. And as I mentioned earlier, it is clear that H. pylori does not cause any symptom unless you have peptic ulcer disease, which we talked about, the risk is very low. So there is... Again, the question of, you know, when do you test? Really, there is no specific clinical symptom which will point to the presence of H. pylori. 
there is no real reason to look for it. So you investigate to find out the cause, but not specifically to look for H. pylori. That is what we mean by test and treat strategy. You don't look for it and treat it. Mm, okay. And what sort of age would that change? I mean, presumably it doesn't change at the, 17 years yeah. and 364 days. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. I mean, like, like anything else, medicine, you know, I mean, as I said, these are sort of pediatric guidelines and, and most pediatric guidelines would apply to definitely until 16 mm -hmm. or even up to 18. Yeah. I think the important, you now we've got to remember that, as we all know, WHO has sort of, you know, said that H. pylori is a class 1 carcinogen. Mm. Uh, and of course, there is no doubt it does cause peptic ulcer disease. Those are sort of two most important complications, if you like, H. pylori. Now, the pediatric guidelines do not recommend test and treat for the reasons we mentioned, very, very low risk of these. Mm. Uh, but when you start treating, I think, you know, you have to consider when, you know, when you consider as an adult, then of course, I think the adult guidelines would apply. Okay. Uh, and that, that brings up an important question of, you know, I mean, one of the unanswered questions for the pediatric guidelines is that, suppose you find a child with H. pylori, of course, there is no rush to eradicate unless you have peptic ulcer disease. But the question is, how long you follow up? That is still unanswered. Mm. And I suspect the, you know, I mean, the, the longitudinal studies might come in the future and determine you know, how long the follow-up is required and what are the risk factors for developing the gastric cancer and all those stuff. I think it's mm. still to be found out. Okay. So you mentioned there are a few bene beneficial effects of having H. pylori in the stomach mm. lining. Can you just expand on that a bit, please? Yeah, th thank you, thank you. Really um, interesting. And in fact, the sort of got this is interesting. I think it's almost about 10 years ago, I attended a conference, one of the European Society of Pediatric Gastronomy conferences, and there was a presenter who presented increasingly beneficial effects of H. pylori, particularly in children. Now, broadly, that will be the beneficial effects against the allergic conditions like asthma, eczema, atopy, and also eosinophilic esophagitis, which is a condition we more and more frequently see nowadays. It's again an allergic inflammation of the esophagus. And the other most important disease which had shown an inverse relation is the inflammatory bowel disease. And we all see that the inflammatory bowel disease incidence is really has increased in the last Interesting. Uh, at least sort of in our one to two decades and a very, very significant and reproduced inverse relationship with the various studies against inflammatory bubble disease. Just to sort of highlight on these two, there are some, the recent, most recent meta-analysis which almost involved nearly about 18,000 children with the, with the high quality studies and authors reported that significant inverse correlation between the presence of asthma and the presence of H. pylori. So in other words, if you have H. pylori infection, your risk of developing asthma is much less. And same goes for with atopic diseases. And again, quite a large study, multi-center, and of course, you know, the observational study showing again the same protective benefit against the development of eosinophilic esophagitis. And they sort of calculated, if you have H. pylori, you got a 37% reduction in the risk of getting eosinophilic esophagitis. So that is 
the asthma, eczema, that atopic group, again, clear beneficial effect documented from H. pylori. And um, again, the, the inflammatory bowel disease, you know, unfortunately, we see certainly more and more children, younger children getting diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease. As you know, it's probably one of the most difficult uh, conditions, GI conditions we sort of see in children, some of them really escalating to multiple immunosuppressant medications, biologics, and even surgery. Now, again, multiple studies showing clear beneficial effect of H. pylori against developing inflammatory bowel disease. The important factor to remember is, of course, the association you know, does not reflect causation. So people could argue that these sort of increased uh, IBD, increased asthma, may be just a reflection of what is happening overall in the society. You know, I mean, compared to several decades ago, we have sort of much better living conditions, improved socioeconomic status, improved sanitation, etc. So the argument could be helicobacter is just a surrogate marker for that. Yeah. Uh, that is a valid argument. But where it doesn't come to test is there are even laboratory experiments where they have given helicobacter pylori protein or a helicobacter infection prior to inducing experimental inflammatory bubble disease like colitis. And clearly the, the animals who had helicobacter had much less rate of developing IBD and much less severe. So clearly there is something specific to H. pylori. And similarly, a, a very related bacteria, for example, there is an enterohepatic helicobacter. Yes. And interestingly, if you have that, your risk of developing IBD is much higher. So it tells us that helicobacter pylori has some specific immunomodulatory properties. And there are a number of, number of mechanisms postulated. People are still working on the, the laboratory studies, but they think one of the most important things where it modulates the adaptive immune response. Uh, there is certainly immune tolerance if you have H. pylori. Mm. So I think that is the, the interesting bit. Mm. Yeah. And of course, there are, you know, there are some other conditions they think that now, including obesity, in which I was very surprised. So I was yeah. just reviewing this for my article and, and uh, people think even obesity may be related to this sort of extensive eradication of H. pylori. They have sort of demonstrated some changes in the gastric hormone, both ghrelin and leptin, which are sort of, you know, hormones which sort of regulate your satiety and appetite. And it's fascinating. Same thing for, you know, true for even um, esophageal carcinomas. And even though the gastric carcinoma rate has come down, I'm talking about the adults, whereas they have yep. found the esophageal adenocarcinoma is increasing. And it's a very close correlation between the, the H. pylori protective against reflux wow. disease. Um, wow. So it's it's very fascinating. I think it's still lots to learn about. Yes. But from pediatric perspective, what I learned is that, you know, we may be doing more harm by just reflexly eradicating H. pylori yeah. just because you found it. So yeah. that is what I want to sort of really um, yeah. get across the message that, you know, there is no reason to triggering eradication treatment just because you found it. Just because it. it's there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, it may be doing some good. Yeah. So I guess then it boils down to a shared decision-making process with the child and the parents. How should yes. we GPs approach this discussion? The clear recommendation is not to test and treat. Of course, 
there may be a family member who is asking for the test, you know, one of the adult might have peptic ulcer disease or helicobacter and then there may be a family pushed to, oh, look, you know, we got to test the kid. The important thing is to really sort of get the point across to the family that, look, you know, at least in pediatric age group, there is no need to look for it. Now, as we know, it does not cause symptoms unless you have peptic ulcer disease. Of course, if you suspect peptic ulcer disease, a child needs an endoscopy to diagnose and manage that. So, mm. say for example, if you have a child presenting with gastric pain persistent or a postprandial pain, you have self compatible history with the peptic ulcer disease, you got to think about it and sending for uh, specialist opinion. Now, if you find it, again, one of the things which we really want to get across to the general practitioners is that the testing on helicobacter pylori serology is complete waste of resources. It does not indicate anything at all. So the clear recommendations, if you want to diagnose helicobacter pylori in children, the recommendation is by tissue-based biopsy, which means endoscopy. So the bottom line is you don't need to really test and treat. I just wanted to put it across again and again. You don't need to test and treat. In case you find it, it is really sort of explaining to the family that one, it does not cause symptoms. There is no relation between the symptoms of H. pylori just being present and abdominal symptoms apart from you have ulcerative disease. Secondly, really highlighting what we know of the beneficial effects of helicobacter pylori, at least in pediatric age group. Thirdly, of course, you know, as I said, we don't know the, the you know, how long we need to follow up, but clearly because of the long-term risks involved, even though it is a small risk, I think considering sort of treatment when the pediatric age group is over. Okay. And, and other thing I just wanted to highlight, you know, often we do get asked, in fact, a few weeks ago only I had a call from a very good friend of my general practitioner that one of the adult family members got the diagnosis of helicobacter pylori, peptic ulcer, got eradicated. So the question is, do you test and treat children just to prevent reinfection to the family hold? But again, there's a very clear guidance that the reinfection rate is very minimal, very minimal. So it does not really indicate the need for testing other family members, including children, and eradicating it. Uh, and other reason is that Genomic studies, they have shown that when you have a recurrence of the disease in, in a patient, it is often recrudescence of the same bug which was there before rather than the reinfection from another person. So bottom line is there is no indication of family treatment in, in H. pylori. Right. To prevent okay. reinfection. Okay. Really good information. Look, thank you very much, Ravi. I really appreciate your time. I'm sure there's a lot more information on this. So where are some great resources that we can access? And, and for our listeners, just to let you know that uh, we will put these underneath the uh, podcast heading. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much, John, for, for, for this opportunity. Um, and I hope this will be helpful in terms of uh, practitioners come across a helicobacter situation. I hope this will be helpful. Uh, at least in pediatric age group, you know, you are right in not doing any testing unless you suspect peptic ulcer disease, which needs to be evaluated with, a, with an endoscopy, for which, of course, we have to refer to the specialist. But no need for serology testing, no need for eradication therapy, just to sort of treat abdominal pain. There is no relation between functional abdominal pain and helicobacter pylori at all.
Great. Good to know. Thank you very much, Ravi. Thank you so much. Good to have a chat, Sean. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Good GP Podcast, a proud member of the Talking Health Tech Podcast Network. Make sure you're subscribed on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions or would like to contact The Good GP, send an email to thegoodgp at gmail.com. The content of this podcast represents the opinions of The Good GP, hosts and guests of the show. The content is aimed at general practitioners working in the Australian context and is not intended to represent medical advice. Any listeners experiencing symptoms or who have concerns about their health should seek advice from a registered health professional. We make every effort to ensure that the information shared is accurate and up to date at the time of recording, but welcome any feedback or corrections. The content of this podcast is general in nature and does not refer to specific patient management. We recommend all health professionals review local and up-to-date guidelines prior to any clinical decisions. 